Welcome to the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. Today, our guest is Quan Latif Hill. She's a multi-hyphenate producer, filmmaker, and creator, developing and producing multi-platform content in television, film, digital, podcast, live event, and experiential production. Throughout her 20-year career, Kwan's award-winning body of work has included scripted and unscripted content with studios and networks such as Viacom, BET, VH1, Quibi, Discovery, NBC, PBS, Bravo TV, Easter Ray Presents, Refinery29, Doc Society, Two Love America, Phenomenon, Citizen, Citizen Jones, Afropunk, Black Girls Rock, and more. Quan has worked across various time zones, producing and directing talent around the globe, including locations such as London, Paris, Johannesburg, South Africa, and Brazil. Many of her roles have included development, packaging, pre- and post-production, staffing, impact strategy, talent booking, and production and management. Quan formed two cute productions in 2009 to produce and create projects that expand current perspectives of marginalized communities and focus on the narratives of women, youth, and people of color. Her goal is to inspire change and use storytelling to shift the global consciousness. Recently, Quan was an inaugural member of the 2019 Black House Foundation Independent Film Project Multicultural Producers Fellowship, supported by HBO. Welcome, Quan. Yay! Do you hear how amazing you are? It's weird hearing somebody read it. Like, you toil over the writing of a bio. Like, it's such a big deal. And then when it's, like, out there in the world, you probably don't really read it that much. You don't. That's why I like doing it, because I feel like... (laughs) Or hear it. So, thank you so much for doing this. You're so amazing. I met you in 2019. Was that 2019? It was 2019. At Afropunk Brooklyn, so I decided to volunteer and I met you and you produced one of the events that I was volunteering at. And it was like so great working with you. I was just like, she's amazing. Um, you have such great energy and yeah. you're on top of things. And you automatically, as soon as I met you, made me feel so welcome and you're so warm and inviting. And it was a crazy busy night. But what stood out to me, like at some point you came and you stood in front of me, you were like, tell me about you. <laughs> like in the middle of all the things. And I was like, wow, that's like, how can I be like that? That's such a Aww. skill. So yeah, <laughs> you are a producer. You produce so many great things. Um, I don't even know where to start, but well, where did you start? Where did Quan start? Like, where are you originally from? Yeah, so the I guess the origin story is I'm originally from Illinois, Champaign, Illinois, small college town um, in the Midwest. And um, I grew up there with like a huge family Mostly uh, the women and and folks in my family are like teachers and caregivers and community leaders and like, you know, the the folks who run the organizations and like are in in education. So very kind of influential, but mostly in terms of like community building. Um, So that's where that was like my upbringing, like really being steeped in like impact and community and like 
who we are, particularly as black folks and like how we take care of each other and like really create a village. Um, like I said, my family is huge. I'm one of 35 first cousins. Like it's a lot of people. So you had like those friends that were automatic. Um, but again, it was always just really about taking care of the folks around you as much as we took care of like our nucleus and our and our people. Um, so that's where I'm from. Um, from there, I moved to Michigan um, to go to college, uh, Western Michigan University. And then I went to, from there, migrated to the East Coast. I went to D.C. to go to Howard University for graduate school. Um, and then from there to New York. Um, where I was for eight years. Um, then from there to LA, where I am now. Um, but I'm really, as we were talking about before starting the, the interview, I'm kind of like bi-coastal, even tri-coastal, based in LA, but working still a lot on the East Coast and in New York. Um, but also my husband is from New Orleans. So they're a lot like, again, building community and just like being all of the place I kind of now see myself as like a global citizen mm -hmm. <laughs> just from all the stuff I've done and all the beautiful communities I've been able to be a part of um so yeah I started just small little town and now big city dreams as they say <laughs> and big city realities right like you do yeah. you do major things so did you all, like, how did you get into this type of work? Was it like a gradual progression or were you like, no, I want to produce events and be a part of that? It was a gradual progression getting to the like live events and that world where you met me. Um, but I pretty much knew since I was little what I wanted to do and what kind of impact I wanted to have in my life. I basically started... Um, in this space around 11, I went to like my local radio station in Champaign um, and started like what I was calling at the time, like an apprenticeship, like almost an at 11, but I was 11. Yeah. I was like 11. how? So <laughs> basically how it kicked off was I was at just like this big event they used to do called Champagne Urbana Day. It was like a park day, you know, people do like the festivals and stuff. And I saw this woman, this black woman who was the DJ doing like a remote, what they call like in radio world. And she was there like, hey, y'all, we out here. This is going on. Come down here. You know, there's free things for kids. Like she was just kind of like doing her job and like reporting on what was happening and trying to get people to come. And I was just like, what? is she doing? Who is she? How can she do this? Can people hear her? Wait, I hear her on our radio. Like that was just really enthralling to me. Like, what is this, is this thing? How can this person, you know, create, um, like an audience? She looks like me. I'm connecting to her in that way, but I'm also connecting that she's on the radio and broadcasting, um, to people. So, I literally went over to that lady, got her information, stayed in touch with her. And then she allowed me to come to her show um, and like, just see what it was to be a DJ and like work in radio. And so that was like the first taste. Um, then when I was 15, I started volunteering at my like community access center. So I would go and like record the school board meetings and like really boring stuff like the town halls and stuff. Um, 
But what I was learning was the skills, like using a camera or, you know, how to compose a shot. Like, well, don't cut that person's head off if they're talking, you know, and like maybe leave them so that you got a little bit more room in front of their face. So, you know, which way they're looking, like just learning all these like really fundamentals. Um, And so that was kind of when it really sparked when I was like, oh, I want to be in media. I want to work in like production. This is my jam. Um, And so from there, again, 11, 15, like really young, just connecting to it and starting to like create stuff on my own. Like if I was reading a good book, like Sweet Valley High or something, then I'd be like, "Mm, what could my story be like? Or if I made another story that was like theirs, but not theirs, what would that be like? So just being super imaginative and starting right away, like writing things. I will say, obviously at that point, I didn't ever write in the proper format, you know, or like, what nowadays people be like well let me see your script and you know which which font did you use and how much spacing did you have like I wasn't worried about any of that I was just creating and I was in a space of being a like natural creator um and so that was the jump off and from there obviously started the focus of like where would I go to school what would I be learning and I did like undergrad like broadcast tv radio production um and then grad I was in film and like media studies But in that journey is where I started to like kind of pick up on the other side of it. So it was like the media and like the culture uh, and like creation around that. But then being on campus is where I started to like see the elements around creating community. And so at at school and undergrad and at Western Michigan University, I would like start doing live what would be live events. At that time, it was just like getting people together or, you know, I'm in this club. And so, you know, NWCP, we're going to have this kind of event around, you know, something or a promotion or fundraising. Um, and so that became a new tool, you know, that I was like learning and, and kind of a, a new resource for the community. What I didn't know that at the time I was just like doing things. Um, and so the getting into the, uh, the full on event world happened there. And then by the time I got to New York and was like working regularly in TV production, um, I got introduced to folks who were doing like events here and there, like an album release party or, you know, a um, reception or something where they'd be like, hey, Kwan, will you work on this? Or, you know, volunteering, same as you did with Afropunk. Um, I volunteered at like festivals like Urban World or the African-American Women in Cinema and like just learning, kind of seeing it as my way to network originally. Like, oh, if I volunteer over here, I'll meet people and I'll, you know, get, get more opportunities out of it. Um, but then also, again, picking up those skills of like, oh, this is how events go. Oh, there's a run of show. Oh, people have to be here at a certain time before the thing actually starts. Like just, again, picking things up. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the beginnings of the journey. And from there, you know, being really clear on what kind of things I wanted to be a part of and like what kind of lasting impact I wanted to have. So it sounds like, though, even the way you described your family and sort of like your family's heritage, um, you were sort of positioned to do this, to do this work in terms of what you were seeing around you. Yeah, I think I had an early conversation with my mom, who's a teacher um, and at the time was a college professor about like what I wanted to do and what I wanted to get into. And she was just very much like, how is it going to help people? (laughs) Like I see music videos and I see media in one way, but like, 
what are you what are your thoughts behind it and like how will you shift that and I was pretty much just like it's gonna be just same as you but I'll just have a larger classroom you know I won't have the 10 to 20 students who I'm actually you know have an impact on and then they go on and can impact more people it would just be like millions of people watch you know an award show I'm a part of like Black Girls Rock or something where immediately um, you can see the impact and the shift in culture and understanding and really love and like humanizing Black folks, humanizing women, humanizing marginalized people who don't usually get a chance to see themselves. I love that. I think I love that you had that conviction at such a young age because I think it really is important the type of work that you do in terms of making sure that these dialogues and these images and these narratives are seen on a wide scale, right? Um, was there ever a time, because we like to sort of talk about and think about detours on when we do the podcast. Yeah. Was there ever a time where you were just like, mm, I don't know if this is the thing, this is not going where I thought it was going to go. I mean, outside of 2020, which was like, what's happening? What do we do? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, when I got to New York, I was working in production. So all the way from like the PA production assistant, like, you know, super green, just got on set. How do I help roll through production coordinator to production management, um, which, you know, is more like the logistics and like crewing and booking and staffing um, kind of space there. Right when after there, there was a point where I was at BET um, in their like creative department for a while and got to a point where I was like, man, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to get out and like start to get back on my creative side because I had just been doing like production management, which was all like execution of great ideas versus like me being able to like actually put in my creative work and do some of that. So I left that job. And didn't have anything else lined up. I was just like, I'm going to get out here and be a freelancer. Everybody's doing that. I keep hearing about freelancing. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it was interesting. And so that was definitely like. Wait, uh-uh, the- no, you got to tell us about that. <laughs> no, yeah. So it was like the pivot, you know, the word of 2020, the the detour. That's when I started working more regularly in live events and like pick that part of my brain back up because I hadn't really done them like I said I was volunteering but I hadn't really done them as like a job or you know even a leadership role in live events before um, except for in college and so when the tv jobs weren't coming through when my the commercials I would get on every now and then um, wasn't happening regularly enough and I was like oh I'm broke I need to I'm living in New York in Brooklyn trying to have the life living the life but like something's not working out so I was able to shift and um a friend of mine was actually on a gig a a live event gig and they had an, an emergency and couldn't show up the day of the event but they had done all the prep and so they were like Quan can you come through can you do this thing and you know, for for me, it was a moment of reflection to be like, wow, this person can trust that I'm going to come in. I'm going to represent them well. I'm going to do do it. I'm going to kill it, you know, and I'm going to have great energy versus, you know, people <laughs> we can work with. And you like, I don't want to work with that person again. Like they were able to vouch for me and refer me in a last minute situation. And so I came in and I did it. And I, you know, it was a learning curve because I was like, oh, that's not really how we would do it in TV. But let me just 
just be, you know, flexible and be open. And it went really well. And that was like one of my first experiences working with the Afropunk team. And from there, then I was doing the festival with them and I was able to start doing other events around like the Tribeca Film Festival or Urban World Film Festival and like stuff that was happening in New York at the time. And so that was absolutely a time when I had to be like, okay, what else can I do? Like, I remember making a list (laughs) and I was like, I can do events. I can babysit. I can like trying to come up with all the stuff that I thought I was, I could be good. I could do like maybe some marketing consulting, something like that. I don't know. I had this list of stuff and then, you know, it was able to get me in a place where, I could do the live events, hop back on to uh, content production, go back and do it. And then getting to me to where I was doing like Essence Festival and BET experience and all of these things, like, you know, as a part of my regular flow, where it's like, okay, the summers, I'm going to be hopping around the world doing festivals. But then, you know, the top of the year and in the fall, I'll be back on a production, like just really being able to figure out how I can kind of have it all in a sense, um, especially professionally. Um, But it came out of, like you said, that like detour of like, I don't know what I'm about to do. Was there ever a thought like, I'm I'm just going to go home like this New York City, like it's expensive. I like you you considered you considered babysitting and I'm sure you would make an amazing babysitter. But (laughs) right at this stage, like you have all your degrees, you have all this experience. Mm -hmm. Like, were you ever like, I might just need to go home? I, I. I can't say I was because I am not that person. I just wouldn't, that would never be the option. Like, obviously my family's very like there for you, you know, check in on you. Like, how you doing girl, baby? Are you all right out there? Like, you sure you want to move to the big city in general? And so for me, having made that big jump to move to the East Coast and leaving the the Midwest and like, you know, my family would come and visit me and stuff and just be like, I can't believe you're here. You said you would always do this. Like you're here in New York. Like it was not an option to go home. And again, they would definitely look out for me and, and, and take care of me and stuff. But it just felt like, nah, you got to figure it out. Like what's the, like we said, what's the pivot? What's the next move? What do you come up with? Even if it is just, okay, I'm a nanny now. Like, not the plan, you know, not what you want to be doing, but like, how do you stay here um, and make it happen? And of course there was like tons of ups and downs and still are where you're like, all right, what's going to happen in like 2020? As I mentioned, the event industry was gone like okay everybody was like we are not doing anything we talked about doing in January like it's over you know by March and so having to again think about what it would look like for you know or what my career is going to look like or how I'm going to shift or you know of course even always always being like okay what do I go back to like what are the things I really love and can't live without and so it's definitely been interesting times but never a straight up let's give up let's go home it's over forget about it like (laughs) like how do i carve my way in you know i've done the sleeping on couches and nomading it like i don't have a place i'm just out here making it happen um i've done that thing too but it's just like there's still never a time where i just 
throw it all, give it up. What do you think, or is is there any particular thing or value from just your life that you think doesn't allow you to give up? And just, I love that mindset of, okay, what are the skills I have? What can I do? Like, is there something you can point to that you think makes you be that way? I mean, the only thing I can really point to is like my family and like their faith. Like it may, it sounds good to say it's my faith, but I know I've, my faith has been shaken many a times and like on the road where you see, especially in my industry, like there can be some really garbage things that are created or celebrated, particularly that paint black folks and marginalized folks in this ridiculous view where I'm like, wait, no, we shouldn't be green lighting that. Like, let's get more of this joyous beautifulness of us out here. Like, let's show more of, of the breadth of who we really are. Um, so there's definitely been times where I'm just like, what are we, what are we even doing right now? Like, should I keep working on this? Or like, should I keep, you know, as a producer supporting a director with this vision that is not, you know, marketable or sellable and all these things that we hear um, we're out here doing the work. Um, that has definitely happened. So my faith has been shaken, but I can definitely look back to, you know, just the way that my family operates and like the true belief that um, you can do anything. You know, there's, there were people who I know in my life who, when Obama became president, were like, wow, now I know that I could be president, you know, like they didn't know that before. And I, it just was like shocking to me because I'm like, if you wanted to be president, why couldn't you just be president? Like if that was what you wanted to do. Um, so just really being like instilled with this energy and this, this mindset um, that, you know, we're dope. We can do things that we want to do. Obviously we all have, um, you know, trials and tribulations. We all have days that we don't feel good about ourselves. We all have those emotional ups and downs. But if at the base, you know that, you know, your your ancestors are watching, like you have that little, that little boost, um, you know, to keep going. Surely you can take a day off. Absolutely. You can be like, I'm on the couch today. I got nothing else for, for y'all. You know, like Dr. Keisha, I love you. I can't do it. But, you know, outside of that, we have to take care of each other. And and for me, going back to your point of like when you first met me, I make sure to do that for other people because it's been done for me. Like, you know, I know this whole world is happening and there's all these moving parts, but Dr. Keisha, are you good? Like, is everybody okay over here? Like, are, is everybody, did everybody eat? Like, are y'all drinking water? Like, are we going to fall apart? Like taking care of ourselves and like checking on each other. You know, they always say like, check on your strong friend. Like we got to be that for each other. And I think that is the, the secret sauce to like being able to keep going and not feel like, woe is me completely. I got to mm-hmm. bow out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I think just to give our listeners context, I volunteered through Afropunk doing other things, but that was the first time I volunteered with the festival itself because I was like, how does this thing work? Because I know a lot of people were like, why are you volunteering? (laughs) Right. Why? Why would you do that? Yeah. I'm like, you're a boss. I'm like, I want to see how this works. (laughs) Um, And I want to, you know, I'm in a weird space where I don't get to be around a lot of creative people, but I have these creative parts of me. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, I want to I want to be around this. I want to figure this out. 
So you were, you produced the solution sessions, which was like, was at this location. There were like a couple hundred people that came into the space. Um, the speakers were like, um, I think it was Elaine Wentworth. Um, oh yeah, Kimberly Drew, Tamika Mallory. Yeah, it was the um, um, what is talk series. I'm blanking on her name, Black the Black Panther Lady. Um, oh, Elaine Brown. Yes, Elaine Brown. Um, managing April Rain. Yes, managing all these personalities, making sure that the set was set up. Uh, making sure everybody was coming in and getting what they needed, making sure the show was running smoothly. But then she's stopping to be like, are you okay? Like, who are you? How are you? What's going on? Right? And I was like, this is, she's amazing. Um, but I like you brought up. <laughs> you brought you, up a point. You. Yeah, you are. You brought up, because sometimes you work with people and they are amazing at what they do. But, you know, it's always that thing of like, people won't always remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And I think you really have that. And I think that's amazing. Um, you brought up the point of being in this industry and what is marketable versus like what your intent is in this industry. And I feel like I hear a lot of creatives sort of talk about, oh, have that struggle. Of, it's either yeah. I do the thing that's right by my people and these messages and these narratives, or I do what's marketable. Like, how do you balance? Because I feel like you, you balance that pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't have that struggle. I'm never like, how do I do something that's marketable? Like, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. Like, everybody, you know, has their lane in their space. I'm here to worry about how do I do stuff for the people? How do I tell true stories, authentic stories? How do I use fiction to, to find truth? How do I use, you know, like, actual, if, even if we think about, like, non-scripted or, like, reality, so to speak, pieces? Like, how am I telling honest stories, again, that humanize us, like, shows queer folks, Black folks, youth, like, in the way that we really are, not just, like, you know, some stereotype, some trope, or whatever other people have decided um, that we have to be, you know, in their little tiny boxes versus who we really are and our con our complicated glory, like, who, who we are as people. And so, for me, the work in, you know, creating the stories is more so like, how do I package this story so that people understand it, so that people see value in it? And when I say people, obviously, it's the people with the resources and the money and like the green lighters, the suits, um, so to speak. So it's never for me like a question of do I do what's marketable or, you know, what people see value in versus doing some for the people. It's more like, how do I take this good work, the stuff that's for the people, um, the stuff that's for me? Like, I want to see myself out here. Like, how do I take that and, you know, do the work around it to make sure there's a beautiful story arc, you know, to make sure that there are some marketing or marketability in it. Like, oh, wow. Like what can our promo campaign look like? Like, let me have those conversations before we get to the table. You know, let's think about what our, what our name would be on Instagram. Like all the things that I know when we get there, somebody may say, or like, how are you going to get this talent? Like, how can you reach these big name people? Like, let me do that work before I get there, because then I know that 
I've at least checked the boxes of a lot of the stuff that they're going to see as barriers to making that content. And I've done that work. Like when they say, well, will people around the world love this? I can say we tested this in front of this market in South Africa or, you know, people in Paris gave me this testimony or this critique on it. So just trying to do my my due diligence around the work, you know, and what, what we again call packaging it. But definitely not trying to water us down any more than the rest of the world has already done it. I love it. That's so powerful. And I love that you maintain that that stance and that space. So 2020 hit, I was I was trying to figure out a way to just volunteer with you alone during Afrobank. I was like, I, they, I don't know how this is going to work because they make you do all kinds of things. Um, but <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, work with her again. So 2020 hit, normally you do out, you, you do a lot of stuff, but I know Afropunk does Brooklyn, Paris, um, Atlanta, South Africa, 2020 was going to be the year they did, um, Brazil, Bahia, um, in Brazil, um, yeah, London, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you also do all these other shows as well. So 2020 hit and everything came to a standstill. How did you then pivot for 2020? It, it was crazy. I will say that I have been fortunate enough around um, 2020 to, as things were happening, to get a call from um, or a text from a friend who had just like, I had worked with, I met the, I met them at Howard University. Then I had worked with them off and on on like trying to do our own projects, like outside of, you know, just indie stuff outside of any kind of studio or network. Um, and so we had been like in the trenches together, you know, literally. And so he hit me up and he was like, hey, um, some other friends of ours, like not, mutual friends, were starting up a show that would be on Quibi called The Nod. It used to be this amazing podcast. They're going to shift it into a new format. Um, do you want to be a part of it? And so literally as things were seeming like that nail biting like moment <laughs> where I was like, let me go find that list where I said what I could do. Like, let me <laughs> figure this out. Um that happened and so I was able to like get my resume and get you know get on a call I was actually still traveling um and was able to like get on the call and have the interviews and all that and so I got staffed on the nod as a story producer um and so I was literally on that as you know the world started breaking down and so I wasn't I didn't have to um travel well I didn't have to I wanted to obviously but travel to do any of the amazing things I had been doing consecutively for like five years at that point from like Essence Festival you know in New Orleans to the Genius Talks with BET Experience in LA and then you know getting on a plane and going to Paris and then London (laughs) then whatever you know for Afropunk so it changed the whole rest of my year but the last flight I went on um in 2020 was to do the Black Girls Rock Festival at the Kennedy Center in D.C. Um, And while we were there, it it was that crazy energy of people being extra cautious and like fist bumping, you know, like, don't give me a fist bump, give me an elbow bump kind of thing (laughs) of like, we keep hearing about this, Rona. We don't know what it is. You know, Black folks don't get it was the the rhetoric back then. Um, And all that stuff was happening. And then I got on a plane, came back March 8th. And that week, uh, you know, I went back to work at the Nod and then it was like, 
everybody go work from home. We got to figure this out. We don't know what's going down. So it was definitely kismet, you know, serendipitous, if you will, that I was able to shift onto that show because we stayed in production all the way through September um, of 2020. So I was on that. And then once that wrapped out, people had figured out how to do virtual things. <laughs> it was all of a sudden a virtual world. And so I was able to do um, Planet Afropunk, which was the virtual version of their fest and all the different um, destinations. So it was like talks that were in Paris. I'm giving air quotes because like, was it really in Paris? It was online. <laughs> it was online. Um, you know, we did a Bahia talk online and then a Joburg talk online, you know, but still being able to you know, really get the folks from the community and the grassroots organizers and activists and artists from those different cities to to have a voice and have a platform. So that was really cool to to do that. So yeah, I was on the the nod pretty much February through September. Then I did started doing some virtual events to close out the year. Um, and then I had this super awesome opportunity to work on a podcast that's based in London, which, you know, if the world was fixed, I probably wouldn't have been able to work on that because they'd have been like, we need local teams only or something. And so I was able to go on that as a uh, impact producer. So really trying to help make sure the the message of the show is about um, uh, climate and like climate impact and literally shifting um, the views around climate justice. Um, and so being able to learn a whole new space on that show was, was amazing. Um, and that closed me out for like 2020, like, like my last project, um, as well as like all the projects I'm attached to as a producer, like feature films and, and, and docuseries and shorts and stuff. So it was a crazy year. I, I've been t- saying this to a lot of my friends and family. Like, it's weird because I worked the whole time, you know, where a lot of folks obviously didn't weren't doing that. And they were just like trying to figure a lot of stuff out. Um, I was working, which gave me a little bit of a, a different kind of um, concern because it's like your brain had to keep operating at a certain level and I think some people were just like you're home so now you're available 24 hours <laughs> versus like let me like you know back in the regular day you get in your car you drive home and people kind of don't mess with you for the evening because they'll see you tomorrow but in the COVID world um people were it did feel like on some stuff people were just like you you're still on let's keep it going let's keep working and I also have a three-year-old well he was two back then he just turned three <laughs> so I had a three-year-old who I'm here like trying to figure figure it out. My husband, um, you know, is a music producer and and songwriter and and performer. So he's in the house too. We're just like trying to figure out our lives with the baby, with like everything in the world burning. June came and the explosion of like blackness and like where we really stand in in the social, you know, construct. It was just like insane but mm-hmm. on the and you know overall i guess it, uh 2020 obviously was a big year for reflection for all of us and like what we're doing what we want to be doing who we love who we care about um so for me it definitely just kind of strengthened my my focus on us you know and making sure people that look like me and you are taken care of um and can see ourselves and you know if I'm gonna binge watch something on Netflix let it be with my my face you know or let it be something that I can connect to so it was interesting times of times highs highs lows of low (laughs) 
I love it. So I love that you brought up your son because that's the next question I was going to ask you is when you were out here in New York City trying to figure it out, hopping from spot to spot and thing to thing until you got this routine down, but then now you have a husband and you have a baby. How, Quan? <laughs> I don't even know what to ask you. I don't know how you tell me somebody send some notes and tweets and tell me. I don't, honestly, I do not know how. I feel crazy. I feel crazy every day. So uh, Will, my husband and I, we've been together for a while. So we were together in New York. Um, and then we went in two, 2014, we got married. And that's when we moved um, officially. I moved to L.A. Um and then in 2018, we had Francois, my little guy, and everything changed. Like, it was just this weird time because I never, obviously, pre-2020, sat at home so long. I hadn't been home a lot. I've always on a plane, always moving, like I said, living that crazy nomadic life. And so perspective, life, a lot of things had to change Um in terms of like the priorities, but it was also really important to us, me and Will, to make sure that we didn't change what we were doing, like our focus, you know, the things that we do, why we do them um, had to be maintained because at the end of the day, we want our child to look up to us as like people who are doing their thing and living in their purpose. And so it was just like this big moment of like, how do we shift? How do we figure out how to bring this little person around the world with us? And like, you know, what do we do differently to make sure that we're doing everything we want to do, but also truly taking care of him, you know, being like what they call conscious parenting and like making sure that he has what he needs and is learning what he needs to learn, getting the right social, you know, interaction and all the stuff that needs to take place. And so it was a shift. It was a huge shift basically when, when he was born, well, two months before he was born. And then when he was born, was the longest time I had ever been home. So like sitting home for four months as he was like a teeny tiny baby and like making sure he was healthy before we got back on a plane and like all that stuff to, you know, making a decision to have him sometimes strapped on me (laughs) while I was working, you know, or like my mom was really, I was really fortunate that my mom could travel with us some of the places we had to go that first year. and so he's an airplane baby. Like even now he'll be like, oh, I want to go on an airplane. Like you get oh, sad that we've we just been do. in the house. Look, I'm like, me too, me too, <laughs> Francois. But you know, we've been in the house so long, which he's totally not used to. Cause he used to, his literal whole first year and a half of his life was in these streets. And so um, it was, it was an interesting shift, but all in all, I definitely do not know how how we're doing it, <laughs> Keisha. There's some days where we like, is somebody coming to get him? Are we just babysitting? Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, he's now a toddler. So there's a whole nother level of things that we're having to learn. And, and also just wanting to be consistent for him, right? Like, how do we make sure he's getting his letters and his numbers and eating the right things versus just getting sat in front of a TV, like go do that while I'm on my laptop kind of stuff. So it's been interesting, a lot of grace and understanding and like forgiveness for yourself sometimes when you are like, what, how many movies can I play right now where you'll just sit there and like, 
you know, figuring it out. But I'm taking all tips if anybody's got them. <laughs> I'm taking them all. I mean, it sounds like the biggest tip is, you know, what you said, just giving, extending grace to yourself, you know? You're yeah. very mindful of a lot of things. So I think just extending grace to yourself is the biggest thing you can do. Ooh, child, because sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the worst. Mo-. Like, I think all of last year I called myself a deadbeat mom because I was like <laughs> up in here trying to like do a string out in, in premiere and edit and talk to people and get on a Zoom call. And like the fact that he even is like, are you on the Zoom call at three is like, am I doing the right things I need to be doing? <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. You're doing the best that you can. Okay, so I'm going to move it to our lightning round as we wrap up. It's just oh. random questions, random questions that I ask people. We ready? ready. All right. Okay, so the first question is, what is your favorite color? I have two, pink and purple. Okay. Um, your favorite dessert? Oh, I'm not a big dessert person, but if I had to choose... Um, first thing that came to mind was like a cupcake of some okay. sort. Your guilty pleasure. Um, I don't know. What's my guilty pleasure? I guess something like, um, I don't know. It's lightning round. I'm supposed to be fast. I don't well, know. okay. If it's a hard time, the other thing would be, what would be something that people would be surprised to know about you? Surprised to know about me? I don't know. I think... If anything, and this is obviously some 2020 knowledge coming out, I think that I'm super duper hard on myself. Like I've, a lot of us are, but as you know, from meeting me, like people are like, Quan's so bubbly and lovely and like fun all the time. But like in my brain, I'm like, Quan, get your life together. What did you do today? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, oh no. I know. It's something I got to work on. I need more compassion for myself. But if anything, I would say that's probably surprise. I think that would be surprising to people. Yeah, that week I had worked with um, Liceo putting up the signs. And he's like, are you coming tomorrow? I was like, no, I'm working with the solution sessions. He was like, you're going to meet a wonderful woman. Her name is Quan. That's that's literally what he said to me. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's so beautiful. Thank you, Liceo. South African brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. um, Celebrity crush celebrity crush oh, I don't know I guess like like back in the day I really used to love Harry Belafonte and um Carmen Jones with uh Dorothy Dandridge that's the, I, lo- I can think about I love that you said that on my other podcast my co-host was laughing at me because I had a swoon moment over um Sidney Poitier from um to Sir with love which is like a really early movie of him yeah come on y'all y'all know back in the day people was like giving the swoon right she was laughing at me so hard. Last question. Who plays Quan in the story of her life and what genre is it? Is it like a musical, a comedy, drama, stage play? Oh my gosh. I feel like if anything, it's a stage play because it's absolutely ridiculous and it's like full of drama. Um, who plays me? I don't even know. It's funny because as soon as you said that, I was thinking about how people always say I look like um, Lisa Left Eye Lopez, who's obviously passed away. But that was like the first thought that I had, like, who would play me if everybody thinks I would play her? I don't know. I don't know who would play me. We got to find somebody to play you. because this. We need somebody cool. Yeah, this story needs to be told. <laughs> Dr. Keisha, work on that. 
I'm gonna get homework. I'm gonna get on it. I'm gonna get on it. Well, thank you so much for oh. taking the time. I know you're super busy, and I was so excited that you accepted. Thank you for having me. I'm super proud of you and all of the moves you're making. And like I said, I mean, it's it's for real. I do really want to make sure we're taking care of each other and like supporting each other and elevating each other. So I'm happy to be here. You know, of course, let me know how I can support in the future. I got Thank you. Thank you. Do you have anything cool coming out in the next coming months? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what your premiere date is. So yeah. we, so you're probably going to be further down, like into the summer. Um, okay. Cause I, so I record all my interviews up front. That's good. I roll them so out smart. every other week. So I've done like about 15 interviews. So, Oh, good. No, but that's the way to do it. Don't be last minute trying to record and edit. Oh, I can't. My life doesn't allow it. I have a whole job. Yeah. <laughs> a whole yep. other job. Um, but no, my life just doesn't allow it. So. Um, so coming up for me, I think, you know, just follow me on Instagram and all that produced by Quan. I'll be promoting and, and talking about the things I can talk about when they're able to be talked about. You know, it's always like, don't talk about this yet. Can't, you know, secrets, secrets, secrets. But love it. good stuff coming. Absolutely. Some amazing projects and amazing teams. I'm super honored to be a part of. Um, I also have a TV pilot that I've written that's, you know, happening and moving and things are going down with so follow me and then also my website thequan.com um which is a great place to keep up with all the newness um and i'm, I'm doing this really cool project right now with um some of the alum uh from howard university we're just really supporting alum who are working in the entertainment industry or interested in entertainment industry students and um folks who have our former students so that's please look out for that and support us and our efforts there but yeah stay up with me there's more so much more to come i love it i love it thank you thank you hey inspired person welcome thank you for listening i so enjoyed our conversation with kwan and i know it's been a while i left in that portion about my recording schedule so that you would know that i do have more episodes coming but like i said life is happening and life has slowed me down lately So I haven't been able to get the episodes out as quickly as I usually do, but I do have a couple more episodes coming your way. I wanted to put this episode out now because usually this is when I prepare for Afropunk. And so, of course, that's not happening. And I was feeling a little bit nostalgic. So I said, let me pull out this episode with Kwan. She's amazing. Since the episode was recorded, it was announced that she is a part of the inaugural Emerging Producers Program from Women in Film. So some amazing things are happening with her. Be sure to share this episode and the podcast with others. Follow me on social media at Dr. Keisha, that's D-R underscore K-E-I-S-H-A on Instagram. And check out my blog at www.com drkeisha.nyc that's www.drkeisha.nyc and as always be intentional